wide. On it, from a break in the clouds, came a sudden stream of light. The stranger lad lifted up his head to look at it. "'The rain'll be over soon,' I said, but doubted if he heard me. What could he be thinking of so intently? A poor working lad, whom few would have given credit for thinking at all. I do not suppose my father cast a second glance, or thought on the boy, whom, from a sense of common justice, he had made take shelter beside us. In truth, worthy man, he had no lack of matter to occupy his mind, being sole architect of a long, uphill, but now thriving trade. I saw, by the hardening of his features, and the restless way in which he poked his stick into the little water-pools, that he was longing to be in his tan-yard close by. He pulled out his great silver watch, the dread of our house, for it was a watch which seemed to imbibe something of its master's character. Remorseless as justice or fate, it never erred a moment. Twenty-three minutes lost by this shower. Ah, Phineas, my son, how am I to get thee safe home? Unless thee will go with me to the tan-yard? I shook my head. It was very hard for Abel Fletcher to have for his only child such a sickly creature as I. Now, at sixteen, as helpless and useless to him as a baby. Well, oh well, I, I must find someone to go home with thee. For though my father had got me a sort of carriage, in which, with a little external aid, I could propel myself, so as to be his companion occasionally in his walks between our house, the tan-yard, and the friend's meeting-house, still he never trusted me anywhere alone. Here, Sally! Sally Watkins! Do any of thy lads want to earn an honest penny? Sally was out of earshot, but I noticed that as the lad nearest heard my father's words, the colour rushed over his face, and he started forward involuntarily. I had not before perceived how wasted and hungry-looking he was. "'Father,' I whispered. But here the boy had mustered up his courage and voice. "'Sir, I want work. May I earn a penny?' He spoke in tolerably good English, different from our coarse, broad Gloucestershire drawl, and taking off his tattered old cap, looked right up into my father's face. The old man scanned him closely. "'What's thy name, lad?' "'John Halifax.' "'Where dost thee come from?' "'Cornwall.' "'Ask thee any parents living?' "'No.' I wished my father would not question thus, but possibly he had his own motives, which were rarely harsh, though his actions often appeared so. "'How old might thee be, John Halifax?' Fourteen, sir. The art used to work? Yes. What sort of work? A anything that I can get to do. I listened nervously to this catechism, which went on behind my back. Well, said my father, after a pause, thee shall take my son home, and I'll give thee a groat. Who, let me see, art thee a lad to be trusted? and holding him at arm's length, regarding him meanwhile with eyes that were the terror of all the rogues in Norton Bury. Abel Fletcher jingled temptingly the silver money in the pockets of his long-flapped brown waistcoat. 
I say, aren't they a lad to be trusted? John Halifax neither answered nor declined his eyes. He seemed to feel that this was a critical moment, and to have gathered all his mental forces into a serried square to meet the attack. He met it, and conquered in silence. Lad, shall I give thee the grope now? Not till I've earned it, sir. So, drawing his hand back, my father slipped the money into mine and left us. I followed him with my eyes as he went sturdily plashing down the street. His broad, comfortable back, which owned a coat of true Quaker cut, but spotless, warm and fine. His ribbed hose and leathern gaiters, and the wide-brimmed hat set over a fringe of grey hairs that crowned the whole with respectable dignity. He looked precisely what he was.